0: If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in John three sixteen. If you keep notes in your Bible, you may have a couple of dates that we've looked in this verse, but we're going to look at it in a different way today. Last week, we started a series on the unlimited God. Today's part two, but it's part one of God's unlimited love. <laughs> I didn't know what songs these kids were going to be singing. Didn't know what songs the drama would be. Uh, The girls would be doing drama too, but God has a way of fixing things. In 1965, Jackie DeShannon first recorded the popular song that's titled What the World Needs Now is Love. Here, 54 years later that same sentiment it rings true today what the world needs now yes. is love Amen. we don't have to look very far we don't have to look very long to see that there's a great demand for love but it's but love is in a short supply Families are struggling. Churches are dividing. Our governing officials are at odds with one another. And we're constantly seeing the rise of angry protest. We're at a time when love seems to be becoming more increasingly valuable. And it's becoming more valuable simply because it's less available. Knowing that the love of this world is in short supply... I'm so glad I know that there's a God in heaven who has an unlimited love and has an unlimited supply of that love for us. And it's readily available in abundance for each and every one of you. I don't know where you're at today on your belief about God loving you, but on, for 15 minutes, driving from my house to this place today, I've talked about how sorry I've been to God. I've talked with him about how I failed him time after time. After time, I, I just talked with him about how, how undeserving I am. And he still affirmed to me that he loves me in spite of me. I want to tell you, it doesn't matter where you're at or where you've been. God loves you in spite of who you are, in spite of what you've done. How can we say that? The Bible says in John three sixteen, for God so loved the world... That he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God, we thank you. God, we thank you that you loved us so much, so much, God, that in spite of who we are, in spite of all that we've done, you've loved us so much that you would give your son for us. God, on this day, it began the week where they were singing his praises. They were laying palm branches at his feet. But God, by the end of the week, we crucified him. We put him on a cross and and nailed him there for him to die. God, we just thank you that you loved us so much that you were willing to give your son so that we could have forgiveness of our sins. But you didn't just, you didn't just give him to give us forgiveness, but God, you raised him up and you raised him up so that our sins could be wiped away. God, we just thank you. We thank you for the hope in his resurrection, for the hope that we have that one day we'll be reunited with you. God, we thank you for this day. We pray that you would use the broken words of your servant today. God, for your glory and to magnify your son. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 For a moment before we really dive into what this verse means and, and how it really relates to the unlimited love of God, I want us to think for a moment about that one word so let's just put our minds on that word for just the just for a moment here this little two-letter word it is very critical to us understanding the nature of god's word it's very critical for us to understand the nature of his love that he has for us in the greek that word would be described as to such a degree Or some would translate it as in this way. Now, to simplify this for us, if we could just paraphrase this one verse that we just read, we could say it could be translated that God loved us to such a degree that he willfully sacrificed his only son so that we could have eternal life. Just to think about it that way, that God loves you to such a degree a degree that he would go to the lengths of allowing his son to die in our place or that ought to move us that ought to move us. That ought to let us know that there's a different love that He has for us than we have for one another. The love that's used here in John 3:16 is, is that agape love. It's that godlike love. It's that love that is greater than any idea of love in this world. It's, it's that love that, that motivated God's redemptive work through the cross of Calvary. This love. It's not expressed in some mushy idea or some fantasy that we have in our minds. But instead, it's expressed in God's mercy. It's expressed in God's forgiveness. And it's out of God's love that we are able to experience his grace. Aren't you glad of his love? <laughs> because without his love, we wouldn't know grace. We wouldn't know mercy. Mercy shows us Just how much he loves us. Forgiveness shows us just how much he loves us. And we get to experience that whenever we receive his grace. Well, just breathe. Take a moment and breathe. There's the grace of God. There's the love of God that surpasses all understanding. God loves us like no other possibly could. And he loves us with an unlimited love. Folks, when we think about this, this unlimited love that God so loved the world with. Today, for part one, today, we want to just think about how God's unlimited love is expressed in the Old Testament. Now, it's expressed in the New, and we'll cover some of that next week, but, but we can't go through every every area in every episode, but we want to look at just a few things today as we think of the Old Testament and, and God's love. There was a preacher, one that is very respected in our association when he first started pastoring. At first, I don't even know if he was pastoring at time, but when he first started preaching, the association gave him this opportunity at a union meeting to preach, and, and they gave him the topic, the grace of God in the Old Testament. At that time, he stood up and he said, you don't find the grace of God in the Old Testament, and, and and he went on just talking about the grace of God, but today, if you ask him, at the times of study, at the times of experiencing God's grace, at the times of spending with God, he has found out there's grace all over the Old Testament. We have a tendency to, to view the Old Testament in... in and thinking of God's love we fail to immediately think about God's love in the Old Testament we we generally think immediately about God's wrath and then we will think that Jesus is the embodiment or the, the manifestation of God's love and we don't find that until we get to the New Testament but I want to assure you God's love is all over the Old Testament and it's not just the love but it's God's love this godly love this agape love this Hesed love this love that this loving kindness is shown to us each and in each and every individual's life throughout the Old Testament just as we find it in individuals' lives in the New Testament How can I say that? Because the Bible declares that God is an immutable God. He he is never changing. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if he's a God who loves us today, he was a God who loved us yesterday. And he was a God who loved us beyond yesterday. And he's a God who's going to love us for all eternity. So what we know is the love of God is expressed. And experienced by all those throughout the Old Testament writings, just as we experience his love today. But we need to really come to terms with the fact that his love, it's a holy love. It's very unique from our love It's a holy love that cannot tolerate sin. It's a holy love that that it must judge sin. But God, in his unlimited love, provides the costly solution for sin. And I I want to tell you, that's just right there in itself tells us this is a great love. That he loves us so much he has to judge our sin. But he loved us so much that he provided a way for us to be forgiven of our sin he provided a way to where we wouldn't have to suffer the penalty of our sin and we see this first conveyed in the garden of Eden the unlimited love of God is seen when he created man when God created man he created us in his likeness and his image and you know for years i've wondered what exactly does that mean because all of us look different all of us think different all of us behave different all of us have different attitudes all of us respond different we're just different people but what does it really mean to be made in the image and the likeness of god i believe i believe what god is telling us here is that that it means that he created all of us to be relational. He created all of us to be rational. And he created all of us to be responsible. And that's who he is. He's relational. He's re- re- uh, he's he's rational and he's responsible and that's what he created you and I to be those are characteristics that every one of us are to display in our lives we are created to be responsible in fact God provided a garden for Adam Adam's responsibility was to be a good steward with what God had given him and we see this here in Genesis in Genesis 2 and 8 the Bible says the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden and there he put a man who he formed it, it was. It's just like God created this garden just for Adam. In other words, he, while he creating it for Adam, it was Adam's responsibility to now, in his relationship with God, to be a good steward of everything that God had blessed him with. And I want to tell us, I want to remind us, that everything you and I have, we have it by the grace and the mercy of God. And with everything, he's called us to be good stewards with what we have, whether it's our home, whether it's our finances, whether it's our jobs whether it's our children we are to be good stewards and we have to ask have we been good stewards? as born-again Christians, if we haven't taught our children, if we haven't taught them about the love of Christ, if we haven't displayed the love of Christ in uh, before them, do we haven't been good stewards to what God has given us. If we're not honoring God with our finances because he's the one giving us our finances, then we haven't been good stewards of it. If we're not honoring God in our homes to where it's a holy place, a place of prayer, a place where we can find somewhere silent and spend time with God in his word and- in prayer that we are not honoring God and we haven't been good stewards of what he's given us you know while we're there I want to say this to you I want to say this to you and I say it with with all sincereness I want to thank you for the stewardship that you showed to those men who came last week a week before last to preach their hearts out, to leave their assignments, and to leave their families for a few hours, to come and spend with us, and and the way the church responded, the way you responded, we'd never given baskets like that before, but ladies, the way you responded, it was being a good steward of what God had given us. We covered in Bible study that that if someone gives you spiritual things, you ought to provide for them material things, and the spiritual blessings that those men provided for us was well worthy of what We gave them materially, and I want to thank you. I want to thank you, and because God loves you, he's going to bless you for it. He's going to bless you for it. Now, know this. If you didn't give, you'll have opportunity because we're going to continue doing it. Listen, God God here, he called Adam to be a good steward of what he had provided for him, but he went further than that. He created a helper for Adam. Someone that Adam could relate to. I said that he, he he created us to have a responsibility. He created us to be relational also, didn't he? And he, he called for us to be rational. Well, here we see that the relational part of Adam. Here the guy in Genesis 2 and 18, the Lord God said, and it is good, it is not good. It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. In other words, one that he could relate to one that could relate to him can you imagine that being in the perfect time and in a perfect place and with a perfect helpmate that God created for you we hope we pray and we to some extent we believe that God is the one who put us and our spouses together for folks there are some obvious signs when that doesn't happen and that's not the message today we'll, we'll handle that another day but we'll say uh, but here what there is no question God created Eve for Adam God saw it wasn't good for Adam to be alone. In his unlimited love, he created the perfect mate for Adam. And the two of them enjoyed not only their relationship together, but they also enjoyed an unhindered relationship with God. Can you imagine that? To be in a world where there's no hindrance to you serving God. There's no hindrance to you opening up his word. There's no hindrance to you praying. There's no hindrance to you spending time with him. They were living in that world. While our relationships with God are often hindered by Satan and his principalities and his powers and his wickedness throwing fiery darts at us. There's coming a day when there will no longer be any hindrances. There's coming a day when we won't have to worry about this our relationship with God being hindered. Folks, because when we get to heaven, there'll be it'll be in a perfect time. We'll be in a perfect place. We'll be in a perfect relationship with a perfect God. I'm looking forward to that day. He loved us so much that he provided that for you and I. Amen. The songwriter said this, When we see Jesus coming in his glory. When he comes down from his home in the sky, then we shall meet him in that bright mansion and we'll understand it by and by. Farther along, we'll know all about it. Farther along, we'll understand why. So cheer up, my brother. Live in the sunshine. We'll understand it in the by and by. I want to tell you, God has, he's given us such a love that he wants us to live in the sunshine. He wants us to live and bask in the glory of his love for us. While we live in this world, we shouldn't walk around with our heads held down. We should walk around with our heads held high because the God of glory who created the world loved us with the The love is great as the power that he has. Yes. Oh, folks, he loves us. He God so loved us. And he demonstrated that in that he gave them full reign in the garden. They could have whatever they wanted, they could do whatever they wanted in the garden except one restriction. One restriction, they had to stay away from the tree. They couldn't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, in spite of all the access that they had in this garden, Adam and Eve made an irrational, irresponsible decision. They decided to eat of this forbidden tree. And as a result, their eyes were opened to things they had never known They became aware of their disobedience for the very first time. They experienced guilt and shame. And immediately they began looking for something to cover themselves. And for some way to hide from the presence of God. Isn't that exactly what sin will do to us? We have a God whose love is, is so unlimited. And far too often we'll run away from him. When we should be running to him. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Or if you're in a backsliding condition. I want to plead with you. Don't allow. Don't allow Satan to, to fool you. Don't allow your guilt and shame of your sin to cause you to run away from God. Instead seek him. Let him cover your sin. That's exactly what he'd done for Adam and Eve. Here they are running from him, hiding from him, and he sought them out. And when he saw them in their nakedness, he covered them. <laughs> what a display. What a display of his unlimited love. Though Eve was coerced by the serpent... being coerced by Satan to disobey God, they were still, her and Adam were still responsible for their own actions. And as a result of this, God cursed Adam, he cursed Eve, and he cursed the serpent. The holiness of God required that sin and rebellion be punished, and the ultimate consequence of sin is physical death. But in his display of his unlimited love, he covered their sin. He spilled the blood of an animal. Sacrifice that animal for its skin to cover up the sin and the shave of Adam and Eve. Derek Kidner wrote the coats of skins are forerunners of the many measures of welfare both moral and physical which man's sins make necessary. It was because of Adam and Eve's failure to honor their responsibility because they were poor stewards Of God's blessing, God in his love removed them from the garden. He loved them so much he didn't want them to have to live in that fallen state for all eternity. So that they wouldn't eat from the tree of life, he removed them from the garden. Unsaved, you must be honest with God and you must be honest with yourself. You failed to be good stewards up to this point of your life. You've sinned against God and you're now facing the consequences of that sin. But in God's unlimited love, he gave his only begotten son as the ultimate sacrifice to cover your sins. You don't have to live any longer with guilt and shame. God wants to cover it up. He wants to cover your sin with the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, to protect you from eternally being separated from him. Isaiah 1 and 18 says, God says through the prophet, come now and let us reason together. Says the Lord, though your your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they're red like crimson, they shall be as wool. In other words, he said, come, come, have a talk with Jesus. Tell him all about your troubles. He'll hear your fainted cry. And he'll answer by and by. Just have a talk with Jesus and he'll cleanse you up like never before. Have God so loved you to such a degree that he sacrificed his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The love of God is seen all throughout the garden of Eden. But it's also continued. It's not only conveyed. In the Old Testament. But it's continued. Throughout the Old Testament. It's conveyed in the garden. And it's continued. Throughout this Old Testament letter. Throughout the Old Testament. We see God's redemptive love. We see. And we can take a moment. A few moments just to look at Joseph's life. While, and we see the love of God all throughout Jacob, Joseph's life. Here, Jacob had 12 sons, and it was Joseph, the oldest son of the wife whom Jacob truly loved. Joseph became the favorite of Jacob. Now, I know parents aren't to have favorites. I'm telling you, I've got a favorite. I, and it's okay for me to have a favorite. Now, if you got more than one, you better be careful having favorites. I got one. She's my favorite child. Then there's nothing can change that. Daddy's favorite girl, daddy's favorite child. Here, Joseph had a favorite son. He displayed that. He gave him a coat of many colors. And Joseph's older brothers looked upon this. And because of all their jealousy... They plotted against their brother. They sold him into slavery. And what Joseph's brothers didn't understand is that there was a great famine that was coming, redemption was in the making. It was, a, it was an appointed time that God placed Joseph in the position of leadership in Egypt because God knew this famine was coming and he would use Joseph to be the be the savior or or the one that provided uh, for his family during this time in God's loving kindness we see Joseph's brother meant evil for him but God meant it for good I want to tell you there are things that we just can't see that, that's it because we can't see beyond our noses there are things we just don't understand but we we serve a God who has eternity past in front of him. Eternity present right before him. And eternity future in his sight. He knows everything about yesterday, today, and tomorrow. There's nothing that's going to get by him. And he wants us to just trust him. Even when things seem to be rocky. Even when things seems to, our lives seem to be battered and bruised. When it seems like we don't know where to turn. We can still trust Jesus. And we can trust God's love. Here, they thought it was for evil or they meant it for evil. God meant it for good. It reminds me of Romans 8 and 28 when, when, when Paul shares that we know all things work together for good of those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. I don't always understand this verse. There are moments in my flesh I don't even agree with this verse, but I know it to be true. And if I sit back and I'll wait on the love of God, he'll show me just how true it is. But not only do we see God's love in Joseph's life. What about his redemptive love in the Ten Commandments? The giving of the Ten Commandments was based upon God's loving kindness. That chesed love. That love that is just indescribable. And, and all we could do in the English language is use a word like loving kindness to describe it. Exodus 20 and five, it says... says, you shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. Hear what God has said that he is a jealous God and he is jealous for Israel. The word jealous is used as an exclusive love. Well, in other words, this is it's similar to that in a marriage relationship. Fellas, you can agree with this. Any man who truly loves his wife doesn't want to share her with another man. And I believe women, you can agree to this. Any woman who truly loves her husband don't want to share him with another woman. And you shouldn't be forced to share him with another woman. God required Israel not to worship anyone but him. Because he so loved Israel, not because he wanted to be a brute, but because he knew no other God could love them like him. He knew that because there was no other God, that he was the only true God. Folks God's laws are an expression of love for us. They're not an expression of hate. They're not an opportunity for God to be rigid. They're not an opportunity for God to, to just show us that we've got to we got to obey him. God's love his love is all in his commandments, all in his restrictions for us. He doesn't restrict us because he's he's trying to hurt us. He restricts us because he knows what's best for us and he loves us and wants the very best. How about when you restrict your children? When you tell them to be home before dark? There's a reason you, you tell them that. It's because you love them. And you want what's best for them. Why is it that you, when they start dating, you tell them to be home by a certain time? Because you love them. And you want what's best for them. Why is it that, that when they when they get older and they begin to go wayward, they are always praying for them. And you're, you're trying to take back from them. Not because you despise them. Not because you hate them. But because you love them. And you want what's best for them. And that's how... God loves us but to a greater degree (laughs) so he required Israel because he loved them so much to not serve any other God he didn't want them confused about what was right and what was wrong and we go out there seeking other gods we get confused we go out there seeking seeking money And money becoming our God, we get very confused about what's God's and what's ours. We go out there seeking a, a person. We get very confused of what looks like, what God wants us to have, and what God actually wants us to have. We get very confused when we start doing things on our own. But when we start doing things under the leadership of God's love, we find that he makes everything good. He makes everything good. Well, what about, not only do we sit in his Ten Commandments, not only do we sit in Joseph's life, what about in the midst of captivity? Because of Israel's disobedience, because of their rebellion against God, he allowed them to be taken into captivity. For 70 years, Israel would be captives in a foreign land, but God never left them. He never forgot them. Jeremiah 31 and 3, the Bible says, the Lord has appeared of old to me, saying... Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. Isn't it great to know that that God's love is everlasting? That there's nothing at all in this world that can take his love away from us? That as long as the Lord lives, not as long as this world stands, not as long as you and I stand, but as long as the Lord lives, he's going to love us. Yes. Yes. Jeremiah 33, 7 through 8, he says, And I will cause the captives of Judah and the captives of Israel to return, and will rebuild those places as at the first. I will cleanse them from all their iniquity by which they have sinned against me, and I will pardon all their iniquities by which they have sinned and by which they have transgressed. I know some of you may be thinking well he says the same thing twice in this one verse, but he says two different things: first, he says he's going to remove from them all their iniquity which they have sinned against him, or he says he's going to cleanse them, in other words, he's going to forgive them, he's going to wash them white as snow, but the other when he says when he says it again in here he he's what he's actually saying there is that he's he's going to remove it from them there's a difference in being forgiven of your sin and having your sin removed from you that's two different things one it says that your sin has been forgiven and you have access now Then now he says your sin has been removed in other words it's no longer remembered it's cast away it's removed it's no longer held to your account you cannot be judged by that sin because God has removed it from you well what a love Water love, you know what we'll do? We'll forgive people, but we'll still hold that sin to their account. We'll hold it right in the back of our heads because we'll say, well, I forgive them, but you know, I really don't trust them. And because I don't trust them, I'm going to just keep them at a distance. I want to tell you, I'm so glad God doesn't do that to me, that he cleansed me of my sins, made me me right with him, and he's separating me from my sins for all eternity. I never have to worry about my sins. I never have to worry about about facing the penalty of my sins God's washed that away he's removed it and he's cleansed me and he's made me whole (laughs) yes why would a holy God forgive and restore people who rebelled against him simply because he's good and his mercy endures forever he has an unlimited love for his people listen God so loves you if you're here you don't know Jesus I want you to know God so loves you I don't know how far you've gone from God but I know he loves you and Paul stated in Romans in 8 38 through 39 I am persuaded that neither death nor life Nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come. (sighs) Nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Folks, you can't even separate yourself from God's love. He loves you that much. You haven't gone so far that he doesn't love you. His love is unlimited. And now all you have to do is receive his love. How do you do that? By receiving Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Why must you receive Jesus? Because Jesus left heaven. He came to this sin-cursed world. He lived a sinless life. And he willingly gave up his. Took upon himself our penalty for our sins. And he did this so that we could receive his righteousness. He conquered death, hell, and the grave. So you and I can have victory. God so loves you. We hope you've enjoyed the message today. And if you happen to not have a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ, we want to invite you to know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. It's as simple as the ABCs. If you would admit that you are a sinner and that you are in need of a Savior and believe That God sent His very Son, Jesus Christ, to come to this earth to be the sacrifice for our sins. And that He died for our sins and He arose on the third day. And then if you would confess Him as your Lord and Savior, you can be saved. You must believe this with all your heart and you must be willing to serve Him. If you are, all you have to do is talk with Jesus. You don't need a preacher. You don't need a church to get saved. But if you get saved, find yourself a Bible-believing church. And I believe God will richly bless you.